take a break from holiness to the Lord. We'll pick that back up against next week, Lord willing. But I'm going to preach a little while this morning on the blessings of being a pastor. The blessings of being a pastor. If you can stand with me, please. First Peter chapter 5. The first four verses. <clears throat> first Peter 5, the first four verses. Peter says in verse 1, The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly. Not for filthy lucre, that means money, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory, that fadeth not away. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the day you've given us. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to come together to worship you and to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, you would challenge our hearts today, draw us near to you. In the precious name of Christ, I pray, and all God's people said, Amen. You can be seated. The blessings of being a pastor. Have you ever thought about the fact that many of the physical things we do in life require the use of both hands, both of our hands. And there are many things that are difficult to do with one hand. For two different periods of time in my life, I experienced that. One time I, I, I drove a half-inch rod through my hand, don't do that. Don't do that at home or anywhere else. And, in fact, that was right before your wedding, Jess. I didn't want to do that wedding anyway. No, I did. I, I'm kidding about that. That's not true. But I, I remember, I think I got a cast on. I had to wear a cast for a few few weeks. And then when I had my shoulder replaced, and, uh, boy, you realize God knew what he was doing when he gave us two hands. Amen. And my heart goes out to those who have lost an arm or a leg, whatever. But there are so many things in life that are difficult to do with one hand. But I also realize that as I think about my responsibility as a pastor, and I'm, talk, I'm not talking about physically here, but I need to carry the load with two hands. It requires two hands. In one hand, I, I carry a, 
a sacred responsibility. I have been convinced from day one that what I do carries a lot of weight and is important in the eyes of God. And I don't mean that I'm important. I don't mean that. But I'm here to represent God. And that's of the highest value in my life. So what we do as pastors is weighty. And I want to tell you, it's serious. And it matters. It matters because it matters to God. So on one hand, I, I carry that sacred responsibility. But in my other hand, I carry a, a great sense of joy, a sense of adventure and honor. And I want you to realize, and, and, and you'll never know how much I appreciate this, but God revealed to me many years ago, and I'm not, I mean, through his word, through his, you know, not, I'm not anybody special except called of God. But I've learned that being a pastor, being in ministry, it's not a have to, it's a get to. I am privileged to represent God to a lost and dying world. So yes, on one hand, it's a sacred responsibility. I have been entrusted with a congregation of people through the years that God loves. But I've also been given a great commission, and my friend, that impacts eternity. And that's serious stuff. So again, it's not a have to. It's a get-to. Now, probably many of you will agree with me. I, never, I don't know why God called me. I still don't know why. I remember back then, one of the deacons of the church had called me, and our pastor had resigned, and he was moving out of town. He said, Brother Rollin, I've got a great idea. Why don't you... Why don't you become our pastor? I said, you couldn't pay me enough to take that job. <laughs> That's, I, I meant it. And you still can't pay me enough. Because I realize it's not a have to. I get to do it. It's a privilege of God. There is no higher honor that I can aspire to than to know that I pastor a part of the bride of Christ. His church. His people. And I've had the incredible joy through the years of watching people's lives transformed by the power of the gospel. I've seen men and women draw closer to God as God's word was preached and taught and lives were changed. So when it comes to ministry, when it comes to being a pastor, it really does take holding both realities at the same time. And that is what keeps my joy alive.
My prayer through the years has been, Lord, don't let me become a cynic. Don't ever let me stop loving people. And I'm going to tell you, folks, the day I stop loving you is the day I'm quitting. You're that important to me. So the question is, how in the world can us pastors do such a heavy thing and not lose that sense of adventure, not lose that sense of joy? How can we do it? And, and I want to tell you, there, there, are, there are burdens in ministry, and I realize that. I've experienced those. So how do I not allow the burden of ministry to rob me of the blessing of ministry? And I want to tell you, folks, it's been 30 years now. <laughs> and I'm still being blessed. I'm still enjoying the blessing of ministry. I read from 1 Peter chapter 5 this morning because, without a doubt, Peter gives advice to all who serve in ministry. And the first thing I want to point out, and Peter reminds us of there in verse 1, that pastors have a great responsibility. And I want to tell you, folks, I don't take that lightly. I never have. And with God's help, I never will. Verse 1, Peter said, the elders which are among you, I exhort. And by the way, that word elder can be used interchangeably for pastors. Uh, anyone who leads in the church, actually, but pastors fits there as well. I find it kind of interesting here in chapter 5, he is addressing the leaders, the elders, the pastors of the church. He's exhorting them. And toward the end of chapter 4, the previous chapter, Peter made a, a strong declaration. And he said, the time has come that judgment, notice this, must begin where? At the house of God. And because God's judgment will begin at the house of God, it goes without saying that the pastors, the elders of congregations, carry a great responsibility. An enormous responsibility. Now when Peter wrote this letter, in that culture, these elders were appointed leaders of the churches. And they were to lead the churches by teaching sound doctrine. And by the way, there's a lot of teaching going on in churches today that is not sound doctrine. But they were to lead by teaching sound doctrine. They were to lead by helping, <coughs> excuse me, believers mature spiritually. And they were to lead by equipping believers to live for Jesus Christ in spite of the opposition the world would throw their, their way. So pastors and elders and deacons, anybody who leads in ministry, they carry a great responsibility. And Peter says, I exhort you elders. Peter says, you are to be an example 
to the people you shepherd, to the people you pastor. Be a good example. But I also like the idea that Peter was not speaking theoretically here. He said, I'm also one. Don't you hate it when somebody says, if I were you? Huh? If I were you, I would do this, you know. The fact of the matter, you don't know what you would do because you're not me and I'm not you. But Peter is speaking by experience. He's also an elder. And because God's judgment would begin at the house of God, because God's judgment of sin would begin with believers, Peter could speak from his own personal experience. He had been there. And I want to tell you, these elders that Peter were exhorting at that time, who got this letter, they knew about Peter's life. They knew how he denied the Lord Jesus Christ three times. But they also know that the same God that Peter denied forgave him and empowered him. Empowered him to serve. And so Peter understood, if you're going to be an elder, a pastor, a leader in the church, the first thing you have to do is deal with the sin in our own lives. And my friend, there's not a day goes by, I don't ask God to help me in that area, because I believe that I have a great responsibility. And I am not sinless, but I need to sin less. And I need to be honored before God. Not only here on Sunday morning, but tomorrow morning, Tuesday morning, and the rest of the week. And Peter says, you better deal with that, because God is going to hold you accountable. So pastors have a great responsibility. But second of all, pastors are to love God's people. Love God's people. I remember when I was ordained, and I'm trying to think. I think there were two of my former pastors. I've only served under three pastors. I ran all three of them off. That's not true. We're all three still good friends to this day. And... uh now, I'm not bragging, but you could call any of the three, and they think very highly of it to this day. But I remember there were at least two of them there that day, when I was, the evening I was ordained. And one of them came to me, and I never thought of it at all until he said this to me. He said, Brother Bottle, you've got a special gift from God. He's given you a heart for people. I've never forgotten what he said. Now, please understand something, folks. It's things like that that other people recognize in your life. You don't say, flash that light and say, look at me. I've never desired to do that. So we're to love God's people. We're to care for the flock. Look at verse 2, 1 Peter 5. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you. Interesting word. Can mean feed, can mean tend, can mean pastor. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. You remember the time shortly after the crucifixion, after the resurrection. The disciples had decided to go fishing, and Peter was among them. Fish all night, caught nothing. Jesus shows up, says, cast your net on the other side. You know the story. They get to the to the bank, to the shoreline, and 
Christ has got fish already cooking on the fire. And as they're sitting there, Jesus asked Peter three different times, but notice verse 16, John 21. It says, He, that's Jesus, said unto him, Peter, the second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said unto him, Tend my sheep. Same Greek word used here in Peter chapter 5, verse 2. Sometimes means to shepherd, sometimes to tend, sometimes to take care of, sometimes to pastor. And pastors are to be like shepherds. We're to care, we're to guide, we're to protect those that God has placed under our care. And I find it kind of interesting of all the metaphors that God could have used to describe what he called me to do, the primary metaphor that God has chosen is the word shepherd. I don't remember how long ago it was or how quickly after I became pastor, I uh, came to my office one, one Sunday morning. And believe it or not, that week, Rick and Ruby had been to Gatlinburg. I know you're shocked. So anyway, behind my desk was one of those Indian chief heads. I mean, a feather thing. I said, Rick, what's up with that? He said, you think you're the big chief around here? He was kidding with me. I, know he, I hope he was anyway. But the fact is, I'm not the big chief. I'm not the CEO. I'm not the president. I'm the pastor. I'm the shepherd. That's the one God has chosen. I'm not the executive, the the visionary. But God has chosen an image of caring and nurturing and a, a personal care of a shepherd. That's what God has called me to do. In Exodus 28, verse 29, we get a great, I think, picture here of what God wants. Look what it says. God says, Aaron shall bear the names of the children of Israel in the breastplate of judgment upon his heart. When he goeth into the holy place for a memorial before the Lord continually. And you might thought, well, what in the world does that have to do with being a shepherd or caring for God's people? God says to Aaron every single time you go into the holy place, You are to wear that breastplate, and on that breastplate were 12 stones. And each one of those stones represented every man, woman, and child in the nation of Israel. There were 12 stones for 12 tribes, and God says to Aaron, I want that to be a tangible reminder that when the priest then, in that day, and now pastors today, remember, you are in the people business. The people have got to be on your heart always. And Aaron was to wear that breastplate every time he goes before the Lord. He was to take the people on his heart before the Lord. Aaron, pastors today, we are in the people business.
Many years ago, this is when I was a deacon here at our church, and we had an issue going on that we needed to deal with. And uh, I got to tell you, folks, I'm, I'm a stickler for biblical procedures. I never forget somebody stood up. He's in heaven now, and he said, "Brother Rollins, if this is, was General Motors, here's how they would deal with it." I said, "Sir, we are not General Motors. We are in not in the car business. We're in the people business. We're going to deal with people with a heart for God and to love them, to nurture them." And even when we need to reprimand, it needs to be done in in a way that we draw them back. Because we are in the people's business. Paul wrote a letter to the church at Philippi. In chapter 1 of Philippians, verse 7, here's what he says. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart. Inasmuch as both in my change and in my defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. Think about this. Now the word think that Paul used there when he says, it is right for me to think this of you all. He's talking more than just simple affection. He's not talking about an emotional reaction. The word that Paul uses goes a lot deeper than that. And the idea is that word shows a very special, a very deep concern based not on what Paul wants, but based on the interest of the people he is ministering to. So Paul says to these believers, you hold a special place in my heart. Can I say to you today, folks, you hold a special place in my heart. I am forever grateful for that. Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 15. God speaking here. Look what he says. And I will give you pastors according to my heart, which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. God says, I will give you pastors after my heart. I want the pastors and shepherds, I want them to love you the way I love you. I want them to realize that I, I, I desire to show love to my people, and I want them to show love to my people. And because God loves his people, he has given pastors a heart to love God's people. And I want to tell you something, folks. That is an awesome responsibility. It is an awesome responsibility. And more than anything else, I want a heart that's open, not just for for compassion, but I want a heart that's also open for empathy. I want a heart to care for people during the trials and troubles of their lives. I want a heart that wants to be with people when they walk through the journey of losing a loved one. I want to be with a family who's struggling financially to make their ends meet. And I want to be gifted with a heart that's open to all of those who desire to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, give me that heart. Now, by the way, 
I certainly don't want to take away from preaching because it's the heart of every pastor. But I think greater than my preaching ought to be the love that comes out of my heart for my people, for God's people. A love that is real and deep and genuine. A love that permeates my life day in and day out. Because I have no doubt people will long forget a sermon. No matter how good or bad it might have been. But my friend, they will never forget a pastor who took the time to come alongside when their life is falling apart. There's not a day go by that I don't realize or recognize how good God's been to me. Not a day goes by that I don't realize and recognize the responsibility that I have before God. Not a day goes by that I don't realize how blessed I am that God has chosen me to be one of the vessels He uses to reach people for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to know this morning, folks, it's still a calling for me. And I, I, I have no doubt, no doubt at all in my heart that God has called me to this sacred task. And I enjoy every moment of it. Don't you ever feel sorry for me. Amen. I'm having the best time of my life. I love God's Word. I love studying God's Word. And I love God's people. But I also learned a long time ago, I can't do it on my own. I can't do it by myself. I need God's help. I need God's help. No wonder Jesus said, many are called, but few are chosen. And I thank you, Lord, for choosing me. For allowing me to stand these many years to proclaim his word. And folks, i got to tell you. Even when it hurts, I can honestly say that God has placed you on my heart. I have walked with some of you some of the darkest days of your life. There are times I, I, I thought, Lord, I, I, if I could just go home and turn it off. Amen. And forget about it. But I can't. One of my best friends just lost his wife a couple of weeks ago. A week ago. And I know I don't hurt as much as he does, but I've hurt. I've been in contact with Brother Jerry the last few weeks. And I can't turn it off. God has placed his people on my heart. And I thank him that all these years, all these years, he has given the people that I have pastored a special place in my heart. I don't have the text for our PowerPoint, but 
In John chapter 10, Jesus declared that he was a good shepherd, and he is. And in that dialogue, he gives the statement that the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. He said, now, if this guy's been hired, if he's a hired hand, if he's a hireling, Jesus said, when he's not the shepherd, he said, when the wolf comes, the hireling runs. He leaves the sheep. And when the hireling runs, the sheep catches the wolves and scatters them. But you see, the reason the hireling runs is because he's a hireling. He is not the shepherd. And he doesn't care about the sheep. Can I tell you this morning, folks? I'm not a hireling. I care about God's people. When you hurt, I hurt. When you join, I join. And I am so thankful every day and amazed that God has given me a love for all of you. And may God keep me aware always That caring for the flock begins with loving the flock. (laughs) Well, I need to throw some bad stuff in here, okay? How many know that sheep can be messy? How many know they can be obstinate? How many know that at times they can be frustrating? But it doesn't matter to me. God says I'm to love the sheep. Lord, ever give me that love. Another responsibility I have is to lead responsible as a steward. First Peter 5, 2. Shepherd the flock of God. And here's what i got to remember. It's the flock of God. It's not my flock. This is not my church. It's his church. I'm just a steward. And I'm to lead responsibly. And, folks, it is not healthy for me or any pastor or even you to think of this as our ministry. Our church. Now, I talk about that way a lot. I never say my church. I usually say our church. But the truth of the matter, it's his church. We are his people. So I think it's good to remind ourselves frequently that, yes, as a pastor, our people and our ministry belong to him, not us. And so the truth of the matter is I'm just, I'm just an under-shepherd. I am just an under-shepherd on behalf of the chief shepherd. And how many know there's only one chief shepherd and I'm not him? 
That's Jesus Christ. And he's the one we focus on. And so the church is not my own personal business. I'm a steward. I'm a pastor. And I should lead the church in the way the owner, Christ, wants me to lead on his behalf. Shepherd the flock of God. And so when I look at what God has called me to do, I don't see it as ownership. I see it as a wonderful stewardship. What God has allowed me to do. (laughs) Now, one thing I've had a hard time learning, God did not make me responsible for the flock down the road. I've got all I can handle right here. Amen. God doesn't want me to look over the vision. Boy, I wish they had that ministry. Uh, a former pastor of mine called me a couple of years ago. Uh, he was pastoring in Ohio, a large church. And he called me. He said, Brother Rollin. He said, if you don't care, I'm going to quit and just come and sit beside you for the rest of my ministry. And here I thought he had it made. But it doesn't matter. Large church, small church, in between church. There are time, there are difficult times. And so God didn't give me his church to pastor. He gave me this church to pastor. I need to put my focus here. So I'm not responsible. I'm not accountable to the flock that God has given to another pastor. So I need to be content where God's placed me. But also I'm to lead willingly. Look at verse 2 again. Peter said, shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers. Notice this, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Now I want to tell you, there are three dangers that I continually watch out for. Number one is my motivation. I can't have and allow a wrong motivation in my life. I believe that God wants me to lead out of a willingness and eagerness to serve Him. I believe that God wants me to freely choose to take on responsibility and not lead out of obligation. The motivation that I have to serve has to be pure and it cannot be tainted by social pressure nor can it be tainted by self-gratification. It must be for God's glory. In Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 2, God asks a question. Here's what he says. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God unto the shepherds, Woe to the shepherds of Israel that do feed themselves. Notice the question. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? What's the answer? Yes. That's my motivation that will be my desire. And God has always expected His pastors to be strong, to be caring leaders who guard their flock, their children, their people, like a shepherd would his flock. May I never forget that God has called me to serve you, His people. And God is not pleased whenever His men, His pastors, Put their own interests above the interests of the people. God says, woe to the shepherds of Israel who take care of them. 
themselves. And by the way, one of the priorities that God has given me is not to look at the flock as a source of wealth to be exploited. But the flock is something that God has given me to protect. Because I'm not a hireling. Wrong motives, wrong goals. First Peter 5, 2, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Not greedy for money, but eager to serve. Now, i gotta, I got to put a disclaimer here, okay? It is biblical. In fact, the Bible tells us that pastors need to be paid adequately. Um, Williams, what's his first name? Hey, remember his name? Where's Jeremy? He stepped out. Uh, used to write in the Contact magazine called Briefcase. Great, great writer. Man, great man. We met him one time, and he would tell you he, his head reached about the stirrups on a horse. He's always using that kind of illustration. But one article he wrote about past appreciation. And he's talking about normal pastors, not these mega church guys. He said, I don't know any pastors overpaid. There might be, but I don't know of any. Now, don't misunderstand. I'm not complaining at all. You've been good to me. Better yet, God's been good to me. He's blessed my life. And so it's, it's certainly biblical to pay a pastor adequately. But I believe as a pastor that God requires me to be trustworthy with my finances. Because the opportunity to abuse that trust is always a very real danger. And by the way, when I read of these so-called preachers, we're $700 million, something's wrong. Something is wrong, but I'll move on. That's not my flock, right? If I'm going to honor the Lord, my focus cannot be on money. My focus has to be on serving. Lord, is this where you want me to be? Wrong methods, wrong goals. Another thing, I, I'm sorry, wrong motivation, wrong goals, and now wrong methods. Verse 3, 1 Peter 5. Nor is being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. My desire has been, I hope I'll fulfill that desire, is to lead by example. To lead by example. Not to lord it over people. Not to be forceful or domineering or subduing people but doing out of a love for God's people. And one thing that pastors always fight is the temptation to abuse our authority. Now, make no mistake about it. I believe that God gives pastors authority. Don't mis- misunderstand that. I believe that God calls us for that reason, and I believe that God gives us for that reason as well. But understand, I believe that God wants me to have the heart of Jesus Christ. Mark ten forty five. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, to give his life a ransom for many. That's what I want. I want a heartbeat of humility. I want a heartbeat of servanthood. And Lord, help me to always 
seek the good of those whom I serve, no matter what capacity you call me to do that in. But I think best of all, verse 4, is my reward. Peter says, when the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Brother Paul, you prayed a while ago. That's the day I'm going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. (laughs) And no matter how long God allows me to pastor, I've got to always be aware that I answer to the chief shepherd. To the chief shepherd. I'm always mindful there's coming a time when the chief shepherd is going to appear and he will judge all the earth, including me. At that time, pastors and all believers will receive a crown of glory. And my friend, this alone is the proper motivation for service. So I don't expect to become rich. I don't want to be greedy for gain. But what I do expect and to receive a great reward when Jesus comes back. I have learned that academic credentials, administrative skills, even the ability to speak, do not automatically qualify a man to be a pastor. Now, I didn't say anything wrong with him, but it didn't automatically qualify him. To be a pastor, number one, it takes a heart for people. Amen. A delight, if you will, in helping others grow strong in the faith. It also takes a humble spirit. My friend Tim Stout pastors the Heritage Real Baptist Church in Columbus, Ohio. Tim told me one day, he said, I'm so humble, humble, I'm going to write a book on how to be humble. Now, if you know Tim Stout, you know he's kidding. He's one of the most humblest people I've ever met in my life. He really is. But we've got, we got to chuckle out of that. But it does. It takes a humble spirit. Because if I allow ego to be a part of my leadership, it will be fatal to my ministry. It simply will not work. I have to always keep a correct appraisal of myself. But it also takes growing in my faith toward God. I am aware I understand And I keep it in mind, there may be some in the church that will become wealthy. Some in the the church may become politically powerful. Some might become famous. 
but not me. My life, every day, depends upon God's supply for everything that I have. For my finances, for my hope, for my future reward. For my energy, my maturity. And here's what I want you to know. Good shepherds get to know the good shepherd very well. Pam asked me this morning, she said, well, how long has it been? I said, 15 years. She said, I never could do the math right. It's been 30 years, folks. 30 years. I don't know where the time went. But i got to tell you this. The joy I have at pastoring has not diminished. The hunger I have for God's Word has not diminished. And the love I have for you has not diminished. If anything, it grows more and more every day. And the greatest privilege I've ever had is telling people, Jesus died for your sins. There's a way out. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But we don't have to leave this world without hope. It is the will of God that all go to heaven. That's why Jesus Christ died on Calvary. He died in my place, and he died in your place. Let's stand together. Has God been good to you folks? Yes, he has. I want to say today, God has been good to me. He has been so good to me. I would pray that everyone here today has received Christ as your Savior. God knows your heart. Trust me, He really does. But if you haven't received Him as your Savior, He will today. You simply need to cry out to Him. There may be some listening online this morning. I don't know how many are listening. But if you've never received Christ as your Savior, you won't make it to heaven. Jesus Christ is the only Savior. He is the only way. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for your word. We thank you most of all for Jesus Christ who died for our sins. And I pray, Father, for those that are lost without you today. I pray, Lord, they would simply run to Jesus. Confess their sins. Repent of their sins. And cry out, Lord Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life. Forgive me and cleanse me. I pray, Lord, they'll do that right now. In Jesus' name I pray. And all God's people said, Amen. I believe there's a luncheon in the back. Is that correct? And I think everybody's invited to stay. And so we hope you'll join.